Hello again, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, as promised, I'm going to do a little bit of application of feminist criticism. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about feminist criticism and applying it to two novels, uh, Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid and The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. <coughs> Excuse me. In both of these, we have stories that res- revolve around female characters. Um, one is told by the voice of the female character, uh, Annie John, and the other, The Sound and the Fury, is told by everyone except that female character. I want to talk about Annie John first. <clears throat> Annie John is set in Antigua, um, probably in the late 50s, early 60s. They're not really clear about the date. Um, but one of the things, if you research, and one of the things that you'll see in the novel is that this is a very male-dominant society. Um, the people in the society are uh, very much living in a patriarchy. Uh, women are not expected to be smart. Um, they're expected to be educated if they're in the higher classes, but not overly smart. There's still the expectation that the women will defer to the men, uh, become married, and become wives. <clears throat> this sets up one of the conflicts early on for the main character, because the main character, Annie, is extremely smart. We start hearing her story when she's 10 years old. Um, And this goes from the time she's 10 until about the time she's 16 or 17. And you can tell with the things that she says that she is not only brighter than the women around her, uh, the girls around her, she is brighter than the men as well. And for this society, this is something that is absolutely frowned upon. Um, Often patriarchal societies, if women are intelligent, will expect the women to uh, defer and play dumb. Uh, This can be seen in societies all over the world. I've known many women who were extremely intelligent but feared that if they acted that way, in other words, showed their intelligence, Uh, No man would ever date them. They had no chances for marriage because in patriarchal societies, the males want females who are below them, not equals. So Annie is set up from the beginning to have a very hard time. She is in a society where she does not fit, and she never will fit because she is not willing to dumb herself down. Her goal is not to find a husband and get married. Uh, Her goals are very much education. Um, Annie's early years, she's mainly isolated in the first parts of the novel in an all-female school. And so in an all-female environment, she can uh, display some of this intelligence. Um, In fact, she's until she starts to become a teenager and rebel, she's actually towards the top of the class, if not the top of the class, all the time. Um, As she starts to rebel a little bit, because she starts to probably unconsciously see that all of this uh, knowledge that she has, all of these skills that she has, are going to pretty much be wasted. Um, The expectation is she might get an office job or get a job as a nurse, but mainly get married and have children. 
So as she's going into her teenage years, she begins to rebel more and more against this. And you start to get connections early on to the character of Satan in Paradise Lost. When Annie disrupts class, uh, her punishment is actually to write chapters 1 and 2 of Paradise Lost, which are basically the chapters where Satan is talking about what happened right after he gets expelled from heaven. <clears throat> now, the connection of Satan and Paradise Lost is not necessarily a connection to evil. This is a connection to rebellion. Um, the character in Paradise Lost is very much uh, to the Romantics and to a lot of the writers uh, in the other traditions, very much a character of rebellion, not so much a character of pure evil. Uh, he's someone who couldn't follow the rules, uh, couldn't do what he was told, and so basically gets cast out. And we see Annie kind of cast out because of this and making these comparisons with herself. You know, she sees herself cast out of um, her mother's graces because she's doesn't want to conform and be uh, a good little girl and follow all the rules. She ends up getting cast out of the graces of her teachers because, again, she will not just do what they want her to do, be what they want her to be, and so pushes away. There are a lot of people that dislike the character of Annie John at first when they start to read the novel. Um, the more you realize, though, that she is one, a teenager, and teenage years are natural years of rebellion, and two, an extremely smart woman in a society that does not value smart women, um, then you start to realize that she's not a bad person. She is a person who is kind of being forced into situations that are intolerable, and she's pushing back against these situations. Um, <clears throat> as the story goes on, Annie gets to the point where she's going to be leaving Antigua and, as she says, never coming back. Um, this is how the, the novel actually ends with her uh, leaving Antigua for England and going to be going to school. Now, this has parallels to Jamaica Kincaid's actual life. This is not saying this is an autobiography of Jamaica Kincaid, but there are some similarities. Jamaica Kincaid did grow up in Antigua about the same time as Annie. She did experience a lot of the problems because she's an extremely bright woman in a society that does not value smart women. And she did, as Annie did, uh, actually end up leaving Antigua forever, moving to England, moving to the United States, and sort of pursuing a career as an intellectual and as a writer. In Annie John, we actually get mostly women's perspectives. We only get male voices come in a couple of times. Uh, we get a little bit of her father and a little bit of a boy she used to play with as a child, Manu, and when he is sort of, she runs into him again as a teenager. And she starts to remember back to when they used to play together as children. And this is kind of one of the things that shows you how male-dominated the society was. When they would play games, Minot would always have all of the important roles for himself. He would play the explorer and the um, group of indigenous people that met the explorer. He would 
perform all of the important roles and Annie would be forced to play the role of a servant or someone who fetches things. And this is kind of an overall picture um, uh, of what women were expected to do. You know, the important things were to be done and said by men and women were supposed to play a role where they just fetch things and were um, acting in a supporting role. So you can see that Annie is never going to fit into this society um, and so this is a large part of the reason why she so um, completely rejects the society and everyone in it. Even her friends as they start to get older, uh, her friend makes the uh, uh, suggestion that wouldn't it be wonderful if Annie married her brother and then they could be uh, like sisters. And Annie is absolutely horrified by this. This is when she comes to realize that she is leaving behind everybody in her life. Everybody in her life is all of her female friends are trending towards becoming housewives, settling down, and doing what society expects them to do, where Annie is trending towards moving off onto her own, becoming a writer, becoming um, someone who uses her brain, not someone who is just there to serve a man. <clears throat> in The Sound and the Fury by Faulkner, we also have another story that is centered around a female character. But this is told from a very different perspective. In The Sound and the Fury, as opposed to Annie John, not only do we have a male author instead of a female author, we have four narrators in The Sound and the Fury. And there are four children in the Compson family. There's Benji, who's later, who's originally called Maury, but they change his name to Benji as he gets a little older. There's Quentin, there's Jason, and then there's Caddy. Now, with four narrators, you would think that each of the children would narrate one section. The first section we get narrated is by Benji. The second section narrated is by Quentin. The third section is by Jason. And the fourth section is a third-person narrator who is roughly following um, the characters the last day of the story. <clears throat> now, this silencing of the female voice is something you see a lot. We only get to know Caddy by the way that others describe her. Um, and this is often the way women are portrayed in especially male-dominant narratives. They are kind of, while they might be central, uh, we never get access to their thoughts. We never get access to what they're doing. All we get access to is what they do as it is reflected through the eyes of the male characters. Um, and Benji is a character who is completely uh, fixated on his sister. Um, she is the one who took care of him the most. Uh, Benji is a severely um, mentally limited uh, adult. Uh, he probably has uh, the mental levels somewhere of a three, four-year-old child. Um, so we get a person who really has no real understanding of what's going on and really no ability to uh, communicate clearly, and yet he gets to tell the story of not only the Compsons, but the Compsons as they 
uh, revolve around Caddy. The second section is told by Quentin, and Quentin is basically telling this section on the last day of his life before he commits suicide. And he sees, because Caddy has gotten pregnant out of wedlock, that she has been completely ruined. Um, he wants to take the shame of her ruining on himself um, so that he can rescue her, but he's unable to do that. He even tries to uh, make the claim and fight for her honor, but he's basically just laughed off. And so Quentin, uh, his life becomes completely determined by what Caddy has done. But again, we don't get Caddy's perspective on any of this. All of we get is her brother's perspective. Uh, the third section is told by her brother, uh, Jason. <clears throat> and Jason uh, sees everything that happens, uh, everything that Caddy did, and everything uh, revolving around Caddy's daughter as simply an inconvenience and a spite to him. Um, these people's lives mean nothing to Jason except for the fact of the opportunities which they have cost him. And so Jason basically takes out his hostilities on Caddy's daughter for the most part, Miss Quinton. Um, she is the one that's there to kind of suffer for what uh, her uncle considers to be the sins of her mother. Uh, and Jason does everything he can to try to make her life miserable. Uh, in the end, towards the end of the uh, novel, uh, towards the end of Jason's section, she actually runs off. And we find out more about that in the final section that is narrated by the third-person narrator. Faulkner has a tendency of having a lot of these novels that revolve around a female character, uh, generally revolving around the fact that this female character uh, was more independent and didn't fit into what um, society wanted them to be. We have something similar in As I Lay Dying with the mother. Uh, the mother uh, basically was not someone who ever wanted to be a mother. She's someone who absolutely detested children and unfortunately for her she saw marrying uh, aunts as a way of getting out of having to teach children in school. Well, little did she realize that instead of having all of these children she could send home at the end of the day, she now starts to have children of her own who are never taking, uh, never giving her her time to herself. So even though Faulkner really doesn't give us much from the female perspective as far as allowing them to speak for themselves, he does kind of try from a male perspective to put together uh, the limitations uh, put on the women by male society, how they're expected to live up to unrealistic expectations and how when they can't live up to those expectations, uh, the result is ruin of them and ruin of the entire family. Now this can be seen as kind of a throwback to what I talked a little bit about last time the Victorian idea of the angel of the house versus the prostitute in the street. You know, women are seen to be um, often plot devices where they are supposed to either be all good or all bad. Um, Faulkner's characters are neither, um, but they do have echoes of that old uh, dichotomy. 
Uh, Faulkner's characters actually tend to have, female characters actually tend to have elements of both traits. They have traits of the angel of the house. They have traits of the prostitute in the street. Um, so his depictions are much uh, more realistic than a lot of authors, especially in his time period. Um, but they don't have the uh, level of realness that Jamaica Kincaid has with Annie John. With Annie John, you have a female character telling her own story from her own perspective. Um, I'm going to wrap up this uh, session for now. Um, I hope that all of you are well, and I hope that this has helped a little bit to see how uh, feminist criticism might be applied uh, to works of literature, to see kind of how what happens in a work, what happens in a book, in a movie, in a, in a show, uh, is often determined by gender. Uh, people of particular of, of, of a particular gender are often limited um, by what they can do. Again, the male characters uh, are also limited, uh, not just the female characters. You know, Quentin's uh, struggle is that he can't be the manly man that comes in like a knight and saves his sister. Um, the fact that he can't live up to this ultimate view of masculinity um, means he's a failure and with men, um, part of the thing about uh, the limiting factor that feminist critics point out is that men aren't allowed to ask for help the same way that women are. So when a man is a failure, there's no asking for help. Quentin's only logical uh, solution for his problems is actually to commit suicide. If you can't do it on your own, if you can't make it on your own, society says, well, you're not a man and you need to try to uh, be a man or kill yourself because you're not worth living. <clears throat> so these elements can be go gone into a lot more in depth, um, but I don't want to tie you up too much with this. And as I go through these podcasts, we will be applying all of these types of criticisms to other works of literature to kind of get a fuller sense of how these are applied and Hopefully you'll get practice and be able to start applying them yourself. I hope you are all well, and I will talk to you again soon.